Um, we're gonna jump into week three, but before we do, I wanna read a prophecy that the Lord gave me for our house and for all those that God has put under my cover. And let me just say, the Apostle Paul said, I desire that all would prophesy. So if you've been to another church that has um, it maybe quenched prophecy, can I just tell you, I desire that you would all prophesy. Matter of fact, when the apostle said that, it's just his way of saying like all of you guys can hear from the Lord and give a word to somebody or give a word to a group of people. And uh, here we, we want everybody to prophesy. So I wanna read this prophecy as I'm discipling you. Now people will say, well, Pastor Mike, I know you're saying that, but there's no system that you've installed for prophetic people in your church. And I would say, no, there actually is, but you missed it. Can I tell you how we raise up prophetic people at V1 Church? Yeah. If you have a desire to be a prophetic person, you know, the prophet Jeremiah said that he would actually root out and he would tear down, but he also planted and he also built up. Those are physical actions, right? And I believe that God would have you graduate from doing the dirty work in real life to doing the dirty work supernaturally. And so our system for profits is taking out garbages. Our system for profits is serving in V1 kids because don't tell me you wanna prophesy over presidents, but you won't prophesy over our children and minister in V1 kids. So everybody's like, oh, you don't develop prophets. No, I do, just real ones. Not evangelical Christianity prophets that want to profit for profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. Some of you guys are a prophet for influence because you, listen, the price of being a prophet in the new covenant was martyrdom. Now, oftentimes when we prophesy, we just get a bigger Instagram account. And so if you're doing it to grow your Instagram accounts, the Bible, Bible actually needs more people like John the Baptist who say, actually, I decrease so that he can increase. But a lot of people just want to increase. See, in the first century, they were trying to decrease to make some room for God. And we've increased so much, we've left no room for God. So if you want to be a prophet, here's the system. Decrease. And then God will cause you to be a voice in the wilderness. Did you know that I went almost five years without preaching more than two times before I planted this church? And at first I was like, God, if I'm going to be preaching every week, surely you need to open more doors and show my lead pastor that he needs to schedule me to preach more. (laughs) Because how am I going to be good to be preaching to these people, but I never get an opportunity to preach? And it's been five years. And before that five years, I would go all over the nations preaching and praying for people and prophesying. And it was so unusual for me to not get any open doors. But I remember the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, we have enough good preachers. What we don't have is enough good pastors. (laughs) And you sound real good, but I want you to serve real good now. (laughs) See how quiet God? Because the way up is down. And so I signed up for kids and I served in kids every week. And my sister Mallory remembers me. And if you're like, why would your sister serve unto you? Because a lot of family relationships are real toxic in the local church. It's because for five years, she watched me lead kids before I planted this church. And then during the pandemic, the Lord started giving me prophetic words. And he said, I'm gonna use you to a greater extent to prophesy. And it's all happened in phases and seasons. And I remember... I gave a prophetic word my first time. I said, God, I hate when people say, I'm gonna be a prophet over the nations. But I feel like the Lord was like, no, you've been faithful with the little. I'm gonna give you more influence. 
So actually what happened with my broadcast is I started to release these words in intervals because the Lord was almost telling me he was going to use me to prophesy the signaling of the end of a season, the beginning of the next one. And whoever would listen to me would actually like enter into that next season with me. And so if you pay attention to what I was doing in my broadcast, I was actually being like a prophetic herald that was actually signaling the end of a season and the beginning of a new one. And I kept doing that for the last two years. And at each wave, I would do that V1 church and the people God would bring under my leadership increase significantly. And so I don't know if this is the last time God's going to do this, but I want to put a little bit of importance on it because the Lord gave me a word. Matter of fact, he told me before he gave me this word that he wanted me to tell the last seasonal word I got. And you guys probably remember this is that it's the end of a morning season. Do you guys remember me saying that? And the Lord told me he was going to bring me to significant churches and significant locations. And I was to say that same phrase every time I showed up and signal it. And it was crazy because it was like, sure enough, these doors, these crazy doors opened for me to the point where the last time I said that was at Church of the Highlands, which you guys know is the second largest church in America. And when I said that, it sent a shockwave through their community because of things that they've been transitioning through. And so I got this seasonal word last week, like at five in the morning, I usually wake up at five and I just spend time with the Lord. And he began to say this and He doesn't always give it to me verbatim, but I just wrote it down the best I could hear it as he gave it to me. Many of you may have already heard this word, but I want to release it again. Uh, And then I want to spend the entirety of our time together in Matthew chapter six, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to go real deep. So can I just release this word? Those who were outcasts have outlasted their tormentors. They have endured slander, lies, accusations, being misunderstood and misinterpreted, and character assassination. They have chosen to remain sweet while having every reason to become bitter. They have stayed the course and held on to what God originally showed them. They've been called crazy, They've been called immature. They've been called ignorant, but the Lord is now calling them vindicated. The Lord used rejection as redirection. The influence of those who rejected them would have taken them off of course. Though the previous seasons were very hurtful, it was a pruning that is creating a large harvest God is transforming hurt into harvest in this season for those who have endured. Those who continue to accuse, to lie, and to slander are discovering that their audience has moved on. While attempting to gain influence, they have sacrificed influence greatly, and the transition is here. The baton is being passed. The wild ones are rising. They are reforming and they are reviving. Now is their time, says the Lord. Does anybody receive that word? The wild ones are rising. They're reforming and they are reviving. And I just wanna encourage you. You've been misunderstood. You maybe have not felt like you fit at other churches. 
There may have been ideas and visions that you have that you spoke, but you were called spiritually immature or ignorant or lacking biblical understanding when in fact you had an accurate interpretation of the text. There's been much warfare and there were temptations to draw you out, but I believe the Lord is encouraging you and he's also confirming you in this moment because you've also had the temptation to become bitter as you have seen ideas and visions that the Lord gave you begin to be implemented in this season in the kingdom. Maybe other churches, other pastors and other ministries are now beginning to do things that you had vision for in a previous season and felt like you lost out because it wasn't honored, but the Lord is honoring you and saying that you have enough time. Time is on your side and he's positioning you and you're a forerunner, you're a pioneer, and he's going to use you significantly in this season. But it was the heart test that you had to pass because in the kingdom, it's not a mental aptitude. Because mental ability can be given by God in a moment. We saw that in the lives of the disciples who became apostles. But when your heart is deceitfully wicked, you'll become Judas instead of Peter. Peter actually ushered in a new era. He was a pioneer. He didn't understand a lot here, but there's something he allowed the Lord to do here in his heart. And so I believe that the Lord has been after your heart. And it wasn't about the idea that came to your mind. It was about the fortitude of your heart. And I just want, I don't know this, maybe this isn't for everybody, but it's for somebody and it's a significant word for you. And I believe that God has called this house to be a pioneering house, but it's a house of others who have empathy and understanding for each other. It's a house that, of, of those who know what it feels like to be misunderstood. Some of your motives have been misunderstood and you came with a good motive, but a bad motive was attributed to you, which is part of the toxic abuse of a Jezebel and Ahab structure is that your motive is constantly being misinterpreted. But I believe that the Lord has you in this house to hear the word of the Lord so that you can proceed into your future but continue to guard your heart. Continue to preserve the pureness of your heart because I'm telling you the truth. It's the purity of heart that will take you to your destiny. It's not the level of your IQ. The Lord can give that as a gift. There is something beyond IQ and it's purity of heart. It's the ones who are pure in heart that they know God, they see God, they inherit the world. Come on, it's meekness is not weakness. So you're gonna be tempted to fight like them. But remember, your weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are your weapons? God is going to give you access to this. I just had to release that word. Let's look at Matthew chapter six. I know it's a little bit serious right now, but stay with me. I asked God, I was like, God, I'm, dis I'm discipling my people. The care pastors are discipling people. The dream team directors and leaders are discipling people. The connect group leaders are discipling people. And our church has just multiplied our efforts to disciple people. And I said, but I wanna know what it would be like if Jesus himself could show up in flesh and disciple directly. What would he say? Like if you could hear his sermon on discipleship. And I believe the Lord took me to Matthew chapter six. So I wanna show you how you're probably going to thank God for me discipling you instead of Jesus directly. <laughs> Can we go there today? Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, beware. And you like Jesus to give you a warning. Beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Okay, there's a lot from this. So first of all, beware. Isn't it funny that in Jesus' world, there was an us versus them, but the them was not sinners. It was hypocritical religious people. See, a lot of times we grew up in church where the us versus them is sinners versus saints. But Jesus discipled to say it's us versus them. We are here for the saving of sinners. But there's a problem if you start adapting the culture of hypocritical Pharisees. And so I got to help you understand, how do you know that you've been discipled by a Pharisee? (laughs) That would be an alternative title for this message. How do you know if you were discipled by a Pharisee? I wanted to do this message another way. Are you a disciple of Judas or a disciple of Jesus? (laughs) Didn't that help you? Because Judas was always saying, what's in it for me? And then when he got his silver, he discarded it because when he got, the, when he got what he desired, he realized that was never going to fulfill. Yeah. And so disciples of Judas are always trying to get something for them. They'll follow Jesus so Jesus could give them something. But see, a disciple, like to be discipled by Jesus, see, this is what Peter learned. Peter learned that, wait a second, it's actually not about me. Even to the point when Peter was crucified because they, they wanted to kill him with a Roman crucifixion like Jesus, he had so learned the lesson of selflessness that he said, just flip my cross upside down because I don't even think I'm worthy to die like Jesus did. So I don't know if you know this, but Peter actually died upside down on a cross. So I say that because he had learned the ultimate selflessness. I won't even be up on a cross being killed and even look like I'm as good as Jesus, so just flip my cross upside down. Judas was the complete opposite of that. Judas was like, well, I'm following Jesus, but I really just want to get mines. And in the end, the reason why Judas killed himself is because he had realized that the, he had this sudden realization that the, that the end game of selfishness is death. And Jesus said, you'll never find your life until you lose it in service of others. And so Peter was like, wait a second, you're about to crucify me upside down, but I'm gonna be the most alive I've ever been because I've laid my life down so that the kingdom could advance. So if you're going to church and you're giving your tithes, and you're reading your Bible, and you're praying so that God can give you stuff. Because I'm going to get mines. I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to give to altitude, and I'm going to serve on the dream team, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to do all these things because then God's going to save my kids. Then God's going to give me a huge house on Long Island I can brag about when I invite people over. Then God's going to give me a car that smells new because it's actually new, not just the air freshener that says new car on it. I know, okay, I know what kind of people I'm with. God, I'm gonna do all this so you can give me all this stuff. It's probably because you were discipled by a Pharisee, not Jesus. Because, and I'm gonna teach you the secret to how you get all of your needs met today. Can I go a little bit deeper? Verse six, now let's go down. Or chapter six, verse one, now let's go to verse two. Thus, When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, when you receive, when you've done that, you've received, they've received their reward, you receive yours if you do it like that. But when you give to the needy, 
Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be a secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you publicly. So here's the thing. Don't hate on people that get rewarded publicly for something you're not willing to do privately. (laughs) Don't be jealous of something God blesses them with publicly because you didn't do what they did privately. I can tell you this. I have the privilege of meeting and hanging out and even calling friends some of the most significant pastors in America in the last 18 months. And when they tell me their secrets of what they do, I have gotten such a profound revelation of how the kingdom elevates people. I won't say names, but someone told me that they were already giving tithes and offering and they got comfortable in their heart and the Lord told them, I want you to give me $1,000 a month above and beyond that to your own church. And I hear these kinds of stories over and over, but what I'm really hearing is the Lord, tell they're narrating this process the Lord took them on to die to self. And all, the the thing is, it's like, if you see Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, but there's an abundance that's connected to decrease because you make room for God's blessings when you stop trying to go after human blessings. Human blessings are perishable, but God's blessings are imperishable. They cannot die. Man's blessings are temporary, but God's blessings are eternal. And so a lot of this decrease we do is so that when, not if, but when you can sustain it. It says, don't do it like they do. Then verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, not if, don't you like how Jesus, what a good teacher. He also said that about fasting. When you fast, isn't that a good teacher? Hey, when you do your homework, not if, I know you'll do it when you do it. He's saying, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So the, oh Lord Jesus, get this, the most significant lesson that Jesus himself felt needed to be discipled into those who followed him first was do not connect visibility with value. Do not connect visibility with value. And if you don't learn that, you cannot and will not remain as one of my disciples. If you connect your value to your visibility, you can't continue following me because you'll make it about you when it's really all about me. (laughs) This is what Jesus is saying. You'll steal the glory from me And I cannot elevate somebody who doesn't know how to deflect glory. In life, we're called to be a mirror. The light of Christ shines on us and we reflect and deflect it to others. Anything good you've ever seen in me is God. Anytime there was a healing, it was the great physician through my hands. Anytime a demon came out, they were responding to Jesus through me. Oh, don't give Mike Signorelli one iota of credit. Anything good is God. I'll tell you that much. If you said, oh, he's a good father, it's because I learned how to parent my children, how he parents me. If he's a good husband, I'm trying to love Jesus the way I see the Holy Spirit nurturing and loving her. Anything good that's God. That's how you become a disciple. And see what he was saying was you've connected visibility to value. And you know, 
it's even harder to get this message today because when you log into Instagram, it tells you how many followers you have. When you tap on a picture, it tells you how many people approve of that picture. Isn't that what a like feels like? Approval. And then comments are an attempt to approve or disapprove. It's a value that we connect to visibility. Oh man, this, oh now, now y'all think, I, I don't know. When you see a video with one million views and you see one with one view, which one are you clicking on? You ain't clicking on the one with one views. You're like, hey, the people already voted. That's trash. You know what I'm talking, you all know what I'm talking about. If it's low views, you're like, hey, listen to that. There's something about value that's connected to visibility. But the problem with that is the kingdom does not function on that principle at all. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. But see, when you show up, and I want to show you Matthew chapter 6. This is a deep read on this text. I've been to orphanages, and when you go into an orphanage in a second world country, there's only two types of kids. One kid will see you coming and know that you're a visitor, and they will run back to their room. They'll run because they are so broken and beat down that they just simply say, it's not even worth trying. I never get adopted. They always leave. They never take me home. I don't care. I'm beat up. I'm going to leave. The other kid in the orphanage, they see you coming and they do every trick they know how to do. For real. And they show you, I can do this. I can do this. I drew this. I did this. And they show you and they come up to you. I can sing. And they start singing to you and they do all these things. And I watch it happen every time. It's the saddest thing ever. I'll never forget the first time I had this experience in Ukraine. I walked away from that orphanage and the Lord said, this is very much what it's like for you as a pastor at V1 Church. Because people come and visit the church and they've been so beat down by life that they're just like, you know what? They, I don't belong here at this church. None of these people will love me. Pastor Michael never even know my name. He doesn't care. I don't, it, it's only a matter of time till they fail me. I'm just gonna go hide. I'll go back to my room. I'll go back. I'm just gonna go in the corner. Then there's the other kind of orphan spirit that says like, hey, I'm new here. I can lead worship. Hey, I'm, did you know I could preach? At my other church, I prophesied. And I look and I'm like, hey, your value it's not connected to your visibility here. I don't care what you can do for V1. Jesus doesn't care what you could do for him. He's already done it all for you at the cross. You're, you're coming to the house of God, come into the family of God where you can disconnect your visibility from value. That doesn't mean you won't prophesy. That doesn't mean you won't preach. That doesn't mean you, you won't lead worship. But when you do, you won't do it for visibility because you already know your value. Are you receiving a revelation? You won't do it for visibility because you already know your value and nobody can take or give from you. I was laughing because I, yesterday, uh, I spent all day with my daughter, Bella, rowing. Well, I didn't row. I watched her row. So I still have my dad bod. I just watch. I'm, I'll cheer you on. Come on with this bagel in my hand. I was like, I, I got a carb load for this. So Bella is doing these races and, and she rows in Manhattan every Friday. And then Saturday they had the competitions. So I'm, I'm videoing my daughter. And it's funny because I see everybody rowing in this race and, I, and Bella's oars are going twice as fast as the other kids. And there was a part of me was like, that's my girl. 
That's my girl. I know that's my girl. So she came out of that and she was like, dad, well, she, she got like third place. And I was like, man, you still got, a, you know, you ranked. And she's like, oh no, we, I won it first. And she's like, and she's like, and I'm a girl. And you know, we, I believe that the girls can beat the guys teams. And we did beat one guy's team. And I said, you go girl. Um, and so, but the thing that she said, she was like, dad, you know, everybody told me I did a good job, but that didn't matter to me because I don't get dopamine off of that. I only get dopamine when I win. And I was like, would you like to lead V1 church? <laughs> but I, but I had another thought and it was that in the house of Julie and Mike Signorelli, there's something about her that doesn't need that. There's, because she's immune to people's praise, she's also immune to their criticism. And you don't understand like however much you need praise, that's how badly criticism will hurt and affect you. So the more you need praise, the more wounded and delicate you will be while you're being criticized. And I know that because, and I'm ashamed to say it, when I was growing up, I was the oldest of five kids, had no dad, and I needed praise so bad. Matter of fact, I became a Boy Scout and I did every page of the Boy Scout book throughout all the years I did it. They held a big dinner for me one year because I, I had accomplished the most like awards and badges that you could get. It was just covered in badges. And I didn't even know the dinner was for me. I showed up, I'm like, this is cool. We usually don't do this. And like, we wanna honor Mike Signorelli, Pack 232, no one's ever accomplished as much. And I look back and it was like, I was this, I was this boy without a dad surrounded by all these other boys and all these other men. And I wanted to show them I have value because I can do all this. It wasn't until I was 27 years old that that spirit was broken off of me. 27 years old. And see, what'll happen in life is you could be so successful and people are jealous of you, but you're even succeeding out of a wound. And Jesus is telling them in Matthew chapter six, he's saying, hey, don't be like those guys. I know that when the other boys looked at Mike Signorelli on stage accomplishing all this stuff for the Boy Scouts, they were jealous of him, but he doesn't have a dad and he's striving and he's gonna almost lose his marriage and everything if he doesn't get rid of that spirit. And so even my success had no value in the kingdom because it wasn't success, it was striving. Don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites who want everyone to think that they're so holy because the world doesn't need a self-righteous person. The world needs an authentic person who says, hey, I fall and I feel like you. Let's get up together and keep carrying this cross all the way to Calvary and let's be a true believer. It's not perfect, but perfect hearted. And then they say, okay, Jesus, teach us how to pray then. He said, I'll teach you how to pray. And this is what he implicitly said. Don't ever use the word me or my or I. Use the word our and we. Our Father. How many of us, every time we pray, we say I, me, my. But he said, I'll teach you how to pray. Now he was targeting something. He was targeting the orphan spirit in them. 
because he knew they wanted to know. I'm a poor fisherman. I, I used to be a tax collector who would swindle the Jews in the first century, and I made a little kickback. I was a physician. I thought my brain and my intellect could make me enough money to support my family. So they came to him with need. And he knew that they were asking him, teach us how to pray. So they were saying, teach us how to get stuff we need. Are you guys tracking with me? So he, Jesus had wisdom in Matthew chapter six to perceive the real conversation. There's always two conversations happening. There's the one that's happening out loud. And then there's the one that's happening through hearts. And I talk to people all the time and I perceive what they're saying to me, even though they're saying something different out loud. And they said, teach us how to pray, Jesus. What they were really asking Jesus was, teach us how to get stuff we're worried about right now. And in his wisdom, he said, you wanna be one of my disciples, right? Don't be anxious about your future. Don't worry about how you're gonna get stuff. Pray like this, our Father, who are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your. So the singular is only used for God, but everything else, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass. Give us our daily bread. He was teaching them a sacred way of the kingdom, which is seek first the kingdom and, it's, and his righteousness, and then all those other things will be added unto you. And so the things you're worried about, the things you're concerned about, the things that you don't know how you're gonna get, if you live your life in service of us and we over I and me, I'll add all those other things. See, hippie Jesus, some of you were discipled by fake hippie Jesus, and you had a hippie pastor. I'm just being straight up. He was, some of you had a Pharisaical pastor and you were discipled by a Pharisee. Some of you were discipled by a hippie pastor who said foolish things like, God has a plan. Well, the Lord has a plan or it'll work itself out or God will make a way. No, actually, the truth of the matter is seek first the kingdom. Live your life in service of others and do what God's called you to do in the earth. And then after you've done that, all these things will be given unto you. See, in the book of Genesis, there was a curse placed on humanity to work. When Jesus died on the cross, it did not remove work, it removed the curse of work. Because an assignment was given to Adam before sin. Adam was given work before sin, but there was a curse to till the land after sin. And so Christians, these hippie Christians, act like God is gonna remove work. No, he's gonna bless you through the burden of the building the kingdom. And now there's not the curse of work, there's the blessing of carrying that burden. It's why you sow and you give and you build the house of God and then you see that God begins to build your house. You give him your gift, you lay it down at your feet and then he begins to multiply everything around you because you seek first the kingdom. Don't be anxious, he says in verse 25. Don't you love how people try to solve anxiety by telling you don't be anxious? Is that offensive? When people are like, oh, I feel like I'm gonna have a panic attack. Oh, just don't, don't be anxious, you'll be okay. Don't, don't be afraid. You're like, can you imagine just telling someone, they cured my anxiety by telling me not to have it. A lot of preachers preach about anxiety like that. Like, just don't do it. Like, oh, that was the greatest sermon of my life. He just said, don't have anxiety and I just don't have it anymore. Not, you know, my wife, Julie, she was like, you know what I hate about our church being named V1? I can't stand flying. I'm afraid every single time we fly. 
It's like it's God's big cosmic joke on her. So every time we take off, I look at Julie, I'm like, don't be afraid. She's like, that's not working. (laughs) And so what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just say, don't be anxious. That's just the first, it is a command, but he always connects the command to a step. And he says this, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Life's more than food, it's more than clothing. But he says this in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. So he goes from a command, which is don't be anxious, to a, literally he gives you the steps for how to eliminate this anxiety we all fear about, feel about life. He says, look to the birds. Why? Because when you have to look at what you're wearing and what you're eating, you have to look down and in. But when you look at the birds, you look up and you look out. And he's saying, if I can stop you looking here at what you're wearing and fix your focus on the birds, you might look past the birds to the hills from whence your help comes from and you'll see something bigger. You'll see out beyond. And so when you're worried about what you're gonna wear, what you eat, to eat, you have to hold your head down to a certain extent. But he's saying, look, change your vision because fear is always a perversion of what you see. So look at the birds and then maybe you'll look beyond the birds and you'll see me and my bigness and my grandeur for your life. Don't be anxious about your clothing. Consider the lilies of the field. Think about what's making you feel this anxiety. Think about what, why you're feeling this. In verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles, remember there's us versus them. The Gentiles, they seek those things, but you're not like them. You're different. You have my mind, my lens. They're worried about, in New York, it's like Jesus, if he was discipling you, Matthew chapter six would say, hey, All the other New Yorkers are worried about how high their rent is. They think like that. Don't worry about that. Is this really hitting home? It's like saying, hey, when he said the Gentiles, they're always worried about their clothes and their car. Did you know that in the last couple of weeks, I wanted to say this last service. Did you know in the last couple of weeks, we have actually received thousands of dollars worth of jewelry in the offering? I don't know if I told you guys this, People have been spontaneously giving very expensive jewelry into the offering buckets while nobody's watching. And after it happened two weeks in a row, like we had to find people to assess the value of it because our church has no need of jewelry. I mean, I was gonna bling. I thought that'd be fun. You know, you just see me come and bling. People give it an offer like, he's wearing my chain. You can't do that. But, But you know what's funny is like, We've received like earrings, chains, and I've had to have Heather is like a, Heather's our director of operations. She's like deep in the streets, just hustling chains now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't you dare go to Heather asking for a chain after this. But I say that because she's had to go find places to assess the value and sell it to them so that we can put it in the church's account. And I was thinking, I was like, God, why are we, why are people putting jewelry? It's happening on Long Island. It's happening in Brooklyn. Why is this happening here specifically in New York? And the Lord spoke to me clear as day. And he said, because you are teaching my people how to destroy idols and they're releasing what was connected to the idolatry. 
You are taking orphans and you're giving them identity that's not connected to visibility. Because an earring is like, see that I have value. A chain is see that I have value. But when people are discovering that their value is in Christ alone, they say, I don't need this anymore. I don't care what you see. I hope you see a son or a daughter of the King. I don't need this to give me value because he gives me value. Now don't think that I'm hating on people blinging. But I'll tell you, it hits different when you put a chain on after you already have your value. It hits different when you put an earring in after you already have your value. And what's happening in this house is people are learning who they are and whose they are, and they're releasing the idolatry and the counterfeit visual. Come on, somebody. I wish you would jump to your feet. If God is good and you know him, I wish you would stand up and engage with him now. There's something stirring in your heart. There's a visibility that you don't have to turn into idolatry to be seen by him. A million people can turn their face. It wasn't it Jesus on the cross as he was carrying the sins of the world that said, God, why do you forsake me? Because God in his holiness couldn't even look at Jesus. Jesus was proving the only audience he ever cared about was his father's eyes viewing him. And for people to give in the offering jewelry, I believe it's because the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come here on earth as it is in heaven. I got one last thing and then we're gonna close. The way up is down. You don't fight fear with fear, you fight fear with faith. You don't fight anger with anger, you fight it with righteous anger, indignation. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of demonic thoughts and the pulling down of lies and falsehoods and deceit. So I, I was studying for this sermon and I was going very in-depth, Matthew chapter six. Probably many of you have never looked at these verses like this your entire life. But I was like, God, I wanna live this out as I'm discipling them and pastoring them. And you know, the comments section, because God has increased my visibility in the earth. And that's been something that I've had to deal with. And the comments are crazy. And please don't read them if you go to church here. It's toxic. Just make sure you read more scripture than comments and you'll be good. Keep your diet right. A Twinkie won't kill you, but only Twinkies will, right? So make sure you, 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 you know, reading the comments is bad for you. So read more scripture than the comments. But every once in a while, the algorithm shows me stuff. And I had this video go over 100,000 views. And a lot of people are like, this helped me, oh, man. And I get an overwhelming amount of positive stuff. But this one guy was like, he commented something and out of all the comments, the, it sh the algorithm showed me his and it said something like, you're so stupid to think that, that when you die, there's a God waiting for you on the other side. That's ignorant, that's stupid. And that you would convince so many people of this. Oh man, Science Mike, the one who read astrophysics before I became a pastor, like that's where I was at, wanted to just unload on and be like, well, let me, light up my cigar and tell you. <laughs> Let me put my pipe together and then I'll comment back. But remember, there's something happening in our heart. And I, the Lord's like, he doesn't need astrophysics. He needs an encounter with me. And see, we don't exchange curses for cursing. 
we're an opposite kingdom that exchanges blessings for cursings. So I was like, he just cursed me in the comments. And I was gonna try to intellectualize this. You know what I did? I just did an experiment. I said, I wanna see if the kingdom works. I went to his profile. And when I went to his profile, I discovered that he is an artist and he plays music and he sings. And I thought back to 20 something year old Mike Signorelli. I said, Lord, he's hurt. I don't know what he's hurting from. But I went on one of his videos and I watched it and I was, and actually he was really good. And all of a sudden I commented, I hearted his thing and I commented, I said, hey, you have a phenomenal voice. And I love this song. Is it original? He never replied to me. Two days later, the algorithm shows me he commented back on that same post. He said, hey, I've, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> Maybe it's not that crazy after all. And he had come back and I said, you know what? He was seeking visibility because he's connected his value to visibility. And when I said, hey, you're seen, I honor your music and I honor your talent and I'm not gonna fight fire with fire. All of a sudden, things begin to transform inside. Something was happening, the kingdom, a seed was sown in a hard heart. How many of us have actually gotten in the way of the saving of many because we missed these opportunities where somebody was hurting, hurting you? And I just believe that this message to be a disciple is to say, God, I trust you that I don't need vindication, validation, confirmation. I just need you. And as long as I know that I've received that from you, I don't need it from anyone, anyone or anywhere else because that is the truest form of freedom. So right now, I just if you wanna receive more of the kingdom to be deposited inside of you, if you wanna receive more of the mind of Christ right now, if you want to disconnect your value from your visibility, I'm gonna give you something to do right now, but I came in this morning and our dream team, they said, Pastor Mike, the craziest thing, they were all saying the same thing. They were like, there is a patience and a peace that has come over V1 Church that we have never felt before. It's like all of a sudden I feel patience and I feel peace. I just feel like people are laying down heavy, heavy burdens in this church. They're laying down heavy, heavy burdens. And so if you want to lay it down and say, God, this is you. I'm just like Moses. I did my part. Now do your part. And I'm just ready to receive more of a revelation of the kingdom. Would you just open your arms like this and just to a just a posture of receiving. Just like this. The Lord says, you are beautiful because I say so. You are smart because I say so. You are blessed because I'm blessing you. Let the Lord just vindicate you for 20, 30 seconds. Let him validate you. Come on, this is whatever you're seeking, whatever you thought that your accolades and your awards were gonna get you, receive it now without, before you ever do anything, because greatness is not an accomplishment, it's an identity. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Isn't it so scandalous to think that before you are ever able to accomplish anything, he loved you the same as he will after you do every single thing that you were called to do. 
Isn't it so scandalous to think that he went to the cross for you before you were ever able to do anything for him? Isn't it so scandalous to get a revelation that it was never about how much you could do for him because you'll never be able to pay him back? And so from that place, you do great things because greatness is not an accomplishment, it's an identity. I just feel so much rearranging happening. Everyone just repeat this after me and we're gonna sing this song one more time, okay? And just give everybody an opportunity to respond. The altars are gonna open in a few moments. Our prayer team's coming up now. And what I want you to do, everybody, is just use these words, just borrow these words. Just say, Heavenly Father, I love you because you first loved me. Before I could do anything, you loved me. After I do everything, you love me the same. My value is in you. I want to be a disciple. I want to learn your ways. Kingdom come in my home as it is in heaven. Kingdom come in my mind as it is in heaven. Kingdom come in my heart as it is in heaven for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the honor and the power forever amen sing this out